Please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 8. Starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In the 1840s, there was an artist called Margaret Gillies, who painted a portrait of a young man called Charles Dickens. While she was painting his, uh, his portrait, he was in the middle of writing his famous novel, Christmas Carol. But he wasn't well-known yet. He wasn't world-famous yet. And somehow, in the following years, that painting of a young Charles Dickens got lost. Even after he became famous um, and very well-known, there was no trail of this painting, and it was thought to be lost forever. Fast forward 175 years, and the Philip Mould Gallery in London, England, got a request about a painting from a man who had picked up this, this random painting at a flea market in South Africa for about $30. The painting was so covered with fungus and, and dirt that it was barely recognizable. And it was discovered that this was the same portrait of a young Charles Dickens that somehow ended up in this flea market in South Africa 175 years later. But the painting was broken. It was unrecognizable. You could barely even tell who it was. It was dirty. It had fungus all over it. It was far from what it was in its former glory. But that wasn't the end. The painting was restored. Through careful and purposeful work, the fungus was removed, the dirt was wiped away, what was unrecognizable and broken was now restored, was now made new. The one true God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end, is the great restorer. 
Our great God wants to and has always planned to make all things new, to restore our broken world and to restore broken people. And in our passage that we read this morning, we see the promise of that final restoration. And it gives us hope knowing who our great God is, knowing his saving plan, his restoring plan, and we can trust that he will bring it to pass. Every day we face consequences of our broken world, consequences of sin in our lives. Our world is groaning, our bodies are aching. We fight sin daily in our lives and it can be tiring. We see the devastation of sin around us in our world and it can be discouraging. But we have hope knowing that our God has promised that he will make all things new. We can trust that he is with us now and that what he has promised for us in the future will come to pass and that he will be with us forever. Our passage this morning that we just read earlier was, um, was written by the Apostle John and we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 21 which is nearing the end of John's vision that the Lord gave him. All throughout this, this vision, through apocalyptic writing, the Lord was giving John a vision of what was to come in the final days. We see accounts of tribulation, of the Antichrist rising and ruling. We see accounts of Satan moving and working through the Antichrist, rebelling against God, causing pain against God's people. But then in chapters 19 and 20, we see a great description of King Jesus on his white horse, the one who is faithful and true, coming down and waging a decisive war against the Antichrist, against Satan. The Antichrist and his armies are swiftly defeated. Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit. And then Jesus reigns on earth with resurrected believers for a thousand years. After which Satan's released, defeated again for the final time, in the final judgment where unbelievers are resurrected and thrown into the lake of fire. And that brings us to our passage here in chapter 21. Look with me again at verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. After Satan is destroyed and the final judgment happens, God promises that he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. In John's vision, he looks out and sees this new heaven and new earth that God promises. And for believers in Jesus Christ, the new heaven and the new earth, that is our forever home. There's a distinction between the, the present heaven, where we, were, where we would go now if we are in Christ, if we were to die, and the new heaven and the new earth. Randy Alcorn gives a helpful illustration that helps distinguish the two. So imagine there is a, a homeless person living in Toronto, and he's given a, a plane ticket to a destination, um, but he has a layover in Calgary. But Calgary isn't his, his final destination. So he hops on a plane and heads towards his destination, um, but then has a six-hour layover in Calgary. But that's a temporary stop. That's not his permanent destination. 
And then after the the six-hour layover, he hops back on a plane, heads back to Toronto. But when he gets there, it's a new Toronto, a restored Toronto, with no more homelessness, no more sickness, no more pain. The present heaven, like that layover in Calgary, is a temporary stop. We know that if we are in Jesus, um, if we pass away, we will be with the Lord in heaven, in in the present heaven, and it will be wonderful. We'll be with God. We'll be with Jesus. But it's not our forever home. Our forever home is the the new earth that we see here in verse 1, where resurrected believers in Jesus will be for all of eternity. And the new heaven, the new earth, is the culmination of the final step of God's saving plan throughout history. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the animals and and the trees and everything that is in it, and God looked at it and saw that it was good. He called it good. Adam and Eve walked with God. There was no death, no suffering, no sin. Adam and Eve ruled over the ground, ruled over the animals, and it was paradise. But then, as we know, it didn't stay like that. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They thought their ways were better than God's ways. And the result of sin was devastating. Sin now entered into the world. There was now death. Men and women now sinned against each other. Husbands and wives were tempted to dominate over one another. There was now selfishness and pride and anger and um, stealing and murder. And the curse of sin affects us all. All of us are born into sin. We know that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And every day we feel the devastation of that sin. We know our hearts and the temptations we have every day to sin against God. And even if if we have been saved by Christ and given this new life, we know that we are new creations. But we know that we still struggle with sin and it can be exhausting. We can face consequences of the, the sinful decisions we've made in the past. Um, we face the consequences of people sinning against us. We look around us and see sin rampant in the world and it can be discouraging to look out and see. But it's not just us and, and our bodies that face the curse of sin. It also affects our world. Keep your finger in Revelation and, and turn with me to Romans 8. Look with me at Romans 8, 22, verse 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The world is groaning because of the curse of sin. The curse is on the ground. Ground is is hard to cultivate. We now have hurricanes and tornadoes and ice storms that bring destruction. So the curse of sin didn't just affect our hearts and our 
bodies and our relationships, but also our world. The earth feels the effects of sins. It's groaning, it's, it's hurting, waiting to be restored. Our world is feeling it, our bodies are feeling it. We groan inwardly, longing for the resurrection of our bodies when we won't feel pain, where our bodies won't feel, fall apart, where we won't feel the effects of sin. God is promising to us here in Revelation 21 that he will usher in a new heaven and new earth, that our world will be made whole again. Our bodies will be resurrected and be made whole again, will be restored, made new. Our God is the great redeemer, the great restorer. It was always his plan to save the world by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again proving power over death and over Satan. It was also always God's plan to restore this earth, to make a new heaven and new earth where believers in Jesus would dwell in their new restored physical bodies for all of eternity. God is the God who restores. And when John is telling us in his vision that he looks and sees a new heaven and new earth, That brings us praise to our powerful and great God and we can trust that he is true to his promises and that what he has said will come to pass, that it will happen one day. One time the elders went to a conference in the States and Pastor Kevin went to a workshop where the speaker gave a document with things to fill our minds when we first wake up. And one of those things to fill our minds was the question and answer Why is today better than yesterday? Because today is one day closer to glory. We know that to live is Christ. We are placed here by God, called to live for him in a way that honors him, brings glory to him, expands his kingdom. But we also eagerly await the day where God's promised restoration of our bodies and the world comes true when he will make all things new. It gives us great hope in this life, and it gives us great anticipation of eternity with God. As we saw there in verse 1, we get this great promise from God of what he will do. But as we continue in our passage, we start to see some of the great rewards that that will come for believers in the new heaven and new earth. Look with me at verse 2 again of Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. When referring to the the New Jerusalem here, Achan in his commentary on Revelation says this, significantly she, being New Jerusalem, is both a place and a people. God's people, as scripture reveals, have long awaited this day, and this moment. The Bible often talks about believers anticipating this new Jerusalem, this heavenly city, this city that is to come. And we get the the idea that this new Jerusalem is a great city, a, a literal city that will be incredible. And we see that this city, this new Jerusalem, will be occupied by believers in Christ, by God's people people that God has reached down and saved through faith in Jesus. 
So this city, this filled by believers, is the bride of Christ. And we get this great description of the people who have got, of, of people of God who have been saved by Jesus, the bride of Christ, united with him. The bride of Christ, the church, will be with her groom, Jesus. Believers will be fully united with him. The reward that we get in the new heavens and new earth is that we will be with Christ. We'll have physical resurrection bodies present with Jesus' resurrected body in the new heavens and new earth, and we will be with Jesus forever. We get to be present with the one who is faithful and true, the one who earned our salvation. But not only did we get to be present with Christ, we get to be present with God the Father as well. Look at verse 3 with me. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is an amazing promise. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. The most important aspect of heaven that we could ever long for, the thing to get most excited about is God's presence. God will dwell with us permanently, live with us permanently. We will forever be satisfied in God, forever be able to worship him and enjoy the fullness of his presence. There won't be 400 years of silence. Won't be times where we don't know if he's there or, or if he hears us or if he cares. We will always feel his presence, always have joy in him, always be totally satisfied in him. We won't have longings for anything else. This past week, we, we got to celebrate God's saving plan to send his son Jesus, who was called Emmanuel, God with us. If you've been saved through Christ, if you trust in Jesus, we have, we have access to the Father. Through Christ, it means that God is with us. And that gives us great confidence and great hope as we live here in this earth. Knowing we don't have to fear what the world throws at us because God is with us. God is on our side. Like the two scouts in the Old Testament, who even though the, the armies of, of Jericho were definitely scary and definitely huge, they didn't have to be afraid because the Lord was with them. Through Jesus, we know that God is with us, that God is near. And that gives us comfort when we face trials, when things get hard. We know we don't have to walk this life on our own. God's presence in the lives of believers gives us so much hope. But we can look forward to God living with us permanently. After Christ's return and God ushers in the new heavens and new earth, God will permanently dwell and the fullness of his presence will permanently dwell on the new earth forever. Randy Alcorn said this about God's presence. We may imagine we want a thousand different things, but God is the one we really long for. His presence brings us satisfaction. His absence brings thirst and longing. Our longing for heaven is a longing for God. Longing that involves not only our inner beings, but our bodies as well. 
Being with God is the heart and soul of heaven. Every other heavenly pleasure will derive from and be secondary to his presence. God's greatest gift to us is and always will be himself. God's presence will totally satisfy us. There will be so many amazing things that we get to do on the new earth. We get to explore and build and create and learn, work and rule. But all of those amazing things come from the fact that God will be with us. We will get to see God. His presence will be permanently with us. God's greatest gift to us will be himself. And that is amazing to think about. We get God's promise that he will usher in a new earth and bring about the the new heavens and new earth that he will restore. And we see the great reward of God's presence and to be with Jesus. But it might be hard for us to understand how great God's presence will be. It might be hard to fully comprehend what that will look like, how that will affect us. Well, we get an amazing description of the ramifications of what it will be like for believers to be in God's permanent presence on the new heaven and new earth. Look at verse 4 with me. And this is one of the most loved verses in, in the Bible. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God is promising us that one day the world and our bodies will be restored, that God will be with us, and the ramifications of that are far-reaching. When I was in grade eight, my dad had gotten me and my my younger brother, uh, my eight-year-old brother, tickets to a Montreal Canadiens game in Montreal. And my dad happened to already be in Montreal for work that week. So the plan was for me and my brother to hop on a train from Kingston to Montreal, and then we would meet my dad at the train station. So as a super mature and responsible eighth grader, I was in charge of my eight-year-old brother. Um, And my brother and I made it to Montreal with no problems. It went smoothly. We were envisioning hopping off the train and seeing my dad there at the station waiting for us, smiling, and then we would rush off to the game. But when we got there, my dad wasn't there. We got off the train, my dad wasn't there. Because I'm currently at the old age of 30, well, the teens call me old, but um, grade eight was a long time ago, so I didn't have a cell phone, so I had no way of trying to contact my dad. So here I am in grade eight, being in charge of my eight-year-old brother, trying to think about what I was going to do, how on earth I would try and contact my dad. My 13-year-old mind was thinking about how I was going to fight off any crime lords that would come and attack me and my brother, because of course crime lords would be interested in two kids. But most importantly, would we be late for the game? Like, we need to get to this game. In reality, we only had to wait for about a minute before my dad came. But once my dad got there, I just remember thinking, okay, dad is here. Everything is right with the world. Dad can fight off the crime lords. Dad will get us to the game. We're safe here with dad. And it calmed my heart right down. It took away 
my fear. We see in verse four the amazing ramifications that come with being in our restored, the new heaven, new earth, with God's permanent presence, with God with us, fully with us, permanently. We see that God will wipe away every tear. There won't be any more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. All the former things that once brought pain, once brought regret, fear, won't be a thing anymore. The curse of sin will be gone. Satan will be defeated with no hope of rising again. Physical pain won't be a thing anymore. There won't be any more anxiety in our hearts, no more stress. No more worrying about what others think about us. No more stress about trying to fit in, about losing our jobs or trying to feel loved and accepted. All of us here this morning have experienced pain. Many of us have had broken bones or hurting backs or coughs or colds or sicknesses. All of us have had tears, tears of of hardships or, or broken relationships or death of loved ones or because of the consequences of our sin or people sinning against us. We've mourned people who have died, regrets of things that, that we wish we would have done. We fight our, our sinful flesh through Christ living in us, but it can be hard. We have great joy in this life as well, and we're able to have joy because of Christ living in us, but we still carry the burden of our sinful flesh still face trials. But because of the hope that we have in Jesus and because of God's promise, we can long for the day where our bodies won't be falling apart, when sickness is gone, when there will be no more death, no more tears, no more worries. God has promised this. He is the great restorer. He has promised to restore this world, to restore our bodies, to to make them new, and to be with us forever. In verse 6, in in John's vision, when God accomplishes all of this, we see in the beginning of verse 6 there, and he said to me, it is done. God will say, it is done. On the cross, Jesus, right before he, he died, said, it is finished. Because he had taken our sins on himself, satisfied God's wrath, died so that we can have life. Salvation was now possible because, of, because Jesus died for us, so Jesus was able to say, it is finished. And then after Jesus returns, for those who have trusted in Christ for salvation, the church united with her groom, when God ushers in the new heavens and new earth, God will say, it is done. All that God has promised, what he has planned for all of time, will come to pass. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. All those who are in Christ will live forever with God and with Christ. But know that in this vision, God is also clear. These promises are for those who have trusted in Christ, those that God has saved through Jesus. As we see there in verse 8, the promise of heaven is not for those who are far from Christ, who are trusting in themselves for salvation, who are trying to earn their own way. 
It's not for those ruled by sin who are faithless, ruled by sexual immorality, ruled by lies. It's for those who have conquered sin, not because of their own strength or their own conquering abilities, but because Jesus has conquered and Jesus has saved them. Those who have admitted their sins before God, put their hope and their trust and their faith in Christ. God wants to make you new wants to give you hope of eternal life through Christ in the new heaven forever. God wants to give you eternal life in the new heavens and new earth in your new restored and resurrected bodies. Trust in Christ today. And if you are in Jesus, this is something that we can know to be true, something we can long for and look forward to and trust that what our God has promised, declared, will come to pass. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are the Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, the great restorer, that your promises are true, that what you have spoken will come to pass. We pray that those who don't know your Son will trust in him for salvation. Thank you that through Christ we can know that you are with us and we can look forward to being with you forever on the new earth. Thank you that you are the God who saves, you are the God who redeems, you are the God who restores. Amen.